You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Let me read this section out of Philippians chapter 2, and then I have a few lengthy introductory comments. The title of this message is called Christmas and Easter Go Together. Christmas and Easter go together. So I like to try and spin some things like how-to or that kind of thing. A lot of application. We don't really have a lot of that right here, but you're going to love this. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, church. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand these words. And God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would visit us, that truly, God, that you would visit us. We are a people that need divine visitation. We need you, Jesus. So these words, God, which are true of you and is actually your word, must be our word in us. And so we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would burn your word in our hearts. That you would talk to us deeply, guide and instruct us. So this we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. All right. So Christmas and Easter go together. And let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, some people have actually outlined this, a lot of pastors, I've actually done this in, in the past, calling the section that I just read the theology of Christmas, and that would be true. This is the theology of Christmas, without a doubt. But for our purposes now, since we are looking at Easter, I want us to understand that Christmas and Easter go together. So just a few thoughts related to that. Listen, there are problems with American culture with Christmas and Easter. I mean, that's, that's pretty easy, you know? So so Christmas season is the season of giving that we make about getting. Ever thought about that? Hey, this is a Christmas season. We're supposed to celebrate, we call it the incarnation that Jesus Christ came and gave, which is what these words talk about. So we are to practice, in a sense, as a spiritual practice, various ways of giving, and we make it all about getting. I love, some of you have seen this. I love to go in our kids' ministry, and I'll, I'll get some of the kids around me. I go, hey, let's talk about Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas. Oh, pastor, let's talk about Christmas. And I'll go, hey, kids, what, what did you give for Christmas this year? What was the favorite gift that you gave for Christmas this year? You know, and it's like, well, they don't have anything to say. <laughs> so this Christmas season is about getting, which is really a corruption that our culture gives to many, many people, there are televised Christmas shows that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Oh, it's fascinating. So just think about it. It's Christ, Moss, right? More of Christ, Christmas. And we're going to have a Christmas special that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So fascinating. And then Easter, I mean, I have written notes here, so I will not go crazy about my comments. Easter is now about a bunny. Easter is about a bunny. Easter is actually 
a sacred Christian holiday that's tied into Passover, and our culture has made it about a bunny. And the whole separation of Easter and Passover on a calendar is unfortunately a story for another day, but I just want to acknowledge that. Christians historically at these holidays would give gifts to one another. These gifts were something like this. They were very, if you will, country-like, you know. So you were knew that you were going into a season of giving uh, sort of spiritually in that way. And so you would look at, let's say, an aunt or an uncle or a family member or maybe a friend who didn't have something, and you would say, well, what they've always wanted is, you know, a sweater, a special kind of knit sweater. And so you would either buy a secondhand garment or you would yourself make something for them that you knew was exactly what they wanted, <laughs> key, <laughs> and then you gave it to them, expecting nothing in return, which we could all say amen, right? Popular amongst uh, sort of the ag world was also special gifts, you know, that went like this. And so a young couple would get married back in, you know, the, before the modern era, and they wouldn't have utensils necessarily. And so some people at church would, would get their metal together. They'd go meet with the local blacksmith guy or forger, and they would hammer out for this young couple a very unique fork and a real knife so that they could have something at home. They would do this during the giving holidays of like Christmas and Easter where they're making it for these people and forging it very decoratively and then they would present what they needed out of love to these people. Isn't that nice? Not now. Madison Avenue retailers have jumped on this idea from World War II on. They've totally corrupted it. They have totally corrupted it. So for our purposes here, Christmas and Easter go together because Jesus is God and Jesus is supernatural. So you need to know who he is. Jesus is God. And Jesus is supernatural. And you need to know who he is. You need to know what he does. And I will just, once again, as I said before we prayed, I have almost no application for us. <laughs> I have to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon me and you and our church, that we would actually understand these words in that way. I have almost no application. I've been in my just personal studies of the word, studying this word fire. Like biblically, the word fire is very interesting. And so, so the word fire is fascinating because fire in the Bible is what happens when people are not believing like they're not believing God. And they're surrounded by God's presence, but they're actually not believing God. And so Moses, you know, the Israelites are there at the mountain and, and they don't want to go up with Moses. And so they're actually down at the base and they're in idolatry. They're not believing. And he goes up, it's called the mountain of fire. Moses had this mountain of fire. He receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the word of God. And there's this fire that comes upon him. Solomon's temple had fire, and that temple, which was 
accepted by God. He simply said, why do you need to build a temple for me? Do you think this temple is like going to contain me? My, my, I am so God, I don't fit into a temple. But sure, we'll do it this way and just I'll, I'll accept it because your heart is right. I will not allow David to be the one who does it. I'll let Solomon be the one who does it. And so then, then a fire came down and did what to the sacrifices? Consumed the sacrifices. It's fire. Elijah and the prophets of Baal, or Baal, however you choose to pronounce that, more Semitic or not, Elijah, right? People in unbelieving. You guys know this story? Yes? It's a great story. So it's actually a funny story in a certain way. Okay, we're going to have sacrifice A over here is going to belong to God, and sacrifice B over there is going to be, the, you know, to the demon God Baal. And so, and so we're going to have these sacrifice animals on them, cut them all up, that kind of thing, could have moats. And, and, uh, and, so, and so I'm going to let you worship your God all day. And so all these priests are worshiping Baal all day, trying to, trying to conjure up some magic by which the sacrifice can be consumed without any human instrument. And so Elijah is back here. It's pretty funny. He says, hey, where's your God right now? And literally in the Hebrew text, it says, is he going potty? That's literally what the Hebrew says, right? Literally says, oh, he must, you know, in your English Bible, it says he's probably relieving himself. That's the accurate translation. But we, in a very G-rated way, would just say he's going potty. Right? He's making fun of them. And so now this comes this sacrifice. Remember, we said fire to unbelieving people. What's going on is the people are hearing the word of God, but they're caught up in unbelief. That, that's why we're having this. We're having this because the people are hearing the word of God. People are coming to the temple, and they are caught up in unbelief. They are, they are hearing it, and it is not internalized to their souls and spirit. They're not being saved. So we have this weird sort of you know, battle going on, which isn't a battle at all. And so here, Elijah then comes, goes, okay, here, here it's going to go. Pour more water on it. Pour more water on it. Pour more water on it. Pour more water. Pour more. Okay, so... Let him know that you're God. Woo! Everybody get it? That's very much a paraphrase of what Elijah said, right? Lastly, for our time, because I'm, I'm, I got one more illustration on that one, I am praying that the Holy Spirit will visit the Word of God in your heart with fire so that you not enter into unbelief. Isaiah had a burning coal, the scripture says in Isaiah 6, that touched his tongue. A burning coal. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, says that tongues of fire were upon the people. None of that is like, you know, false emotion or conjured up. It's actually just God's truth coming. So in verse 5 now, in terms of the study of the actual word, have this mind among yourselves. This is here what the Bible is saying, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to pursue this for a few moments because it's a weighty phrase that Paul says here. And by way of just keeping an outline, know that on a bullet point here, I'm going to call this Jesus, mind of truth, mind of love. So our first point in principle is that Jesus has a mind of truth and a mind of love. He says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it is actually related to this word mind. So the word mind here that is being used in the Bible 
is being related to the idea that your mind is broken. It's actually a negative word about our humanity. And our mind and even our hearts are broken. And so we are actually in need of God's salvation. One way that you could see it is that there's a well-known verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in which Paul is, is talking about, hey, there once was a day in which I thought like a child, and I spoke like a child, but I, but I became a man and put away childish things. It's in the context of understanding love and love in the church and love in ministry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So that phrase, I once thought like a child. So that is the immaturity of that. And that idea is what's used here in this word in Philippians of mind, your mind. And you're going to notice that it's the mind of a human being. It's not the mind of God, which is yours in Christ Jesus is God, and he will give you a different mind. The mind of Christ Jesus works this way. Situation, life of Jesus, John chapter 8. There's a woman who has been caught in adultery, but actually it's a setup. She's been done very, very wrong. She herself has participated in this wrong, but she's also been done wrong. And so now all these people are going to come out and stone her. So the whole town is going to come out and stone her. So Jesus, understanding exactly what's going on, so he first writes on the ground. We always want to know what he wrote on. We don't know what he wrote on the ground with his finger. It's possible that he wrote the name of the man who did this woman wrong, but we don't know. That's simply conjecture on my part. Then he stands up and he says, okay, great. You guys want a stoner? Yes. You want a stoner? Yes. You think she's a sinner? Yes. Okay, great. Let he of you who has no sin, and by the way, you're standing in my presence as God. You throw that stone. Right at me. You know what they did? And throw stones. <laughs> Very good. Don't throw stones at Jesus. They all go away. Remember, I'm talking about this verse here which says, have, have this mind, your mind is corrupted, but which can be a new mind for you in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus here in John chapter 8, he turns to the woman and he says, hey, where are your accusers? Anybody here accusing you? And she says, no, my Lord. What does he say after this? John chapter 8, it's incredible. Neither do I. That's truth and love. Go and sin no more. This is that new mind. See, your mind, which is in the original word of Greek, verse 5, have this mind. That is a reflection to the corruption in your human mind. And that is among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can have in Christ Jesus this new mind. You can have truth and you can have love in your mind. The glory and joy of salvation. Verse 6, that goes slowly through this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we're going to enjoy chasing this. In the first bullet point that I have for you, I say, Jesus, mind of love, mind of truth. This is Jesus rock solid, unchanging. Jesus rock solid, unchanging here in verse 6. So this is part of what makes Jesus supernatural. He is the unchangeable God. He is rock solid. This is who 
and what Jesus is as always being God. Now, the word form, kind of clumsy English, to be honest with you. In the original language, I just want you to know this word. Very, It's easy to say in English, it's morphe. So he, though he was in the form of God, he, though he was in the morphe of God, that word of which I've really spent a lot of miles on, means that he is constantly and consistently abiding in the embodiment of that. It means that Jesus always was God in human flesh as he's walking on planet Earth. And he always was God in eternity, having visited us now. He is constantly abiding, consistently, always in the embodiment of God. Now, of course, in human flesh. So what you might understand, this kind of trips people up, which is why I want to address it. People understand the English word metamorphosis, and that's actually from a Greek combination of biblical words metamorphe, which is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which means to transform. But what people do bad linguistically there is they're putting away these two two words, and it doesn't mean what you think it means. (laughs) Metamorphosis is your changing. Morphe alone there means simply this, you're abiding. And I've just heard enough teaching on that, it drives me crazy when they get it wrong. And you understand here, look at look in your Bible, just let the Bible speak for itself. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You understand that we're talking about grasping onto something. You know, if you're a rock climber, a mountain climber, you're grasping onto the rock and holding on. And you have your legs in certain positions pressing on. You're you're holding on. Jesus didn't have to hold on to deity because he was God. You know who was grasping at deity? Satan. Satan was actually grasping at deity. That's why in the garden, he's saying, did God say? Calling into question the word of God. Are you sure you're going to die? Are you sure if you rebel against God, that's a big deal? Are you sure that it's really God's word? Are you sure that he spoke to you? Who cares about a tree? It's just a tree. Touch it, lick it, eat it. Nothing's going to happen to you. Are you sure God said that? Because you're going to be like him. Satan was grasping for it. Some economy of eternity past, Satan is a worship leader, and he somehow looks at the glory of God and says, you know, I like to be the top dog. And don't we do versions of this with our own personal lives? I like to be the top dog of my personal life. That's what we say to one another. And so Jesus did not count equality, but God a thing to be grasped. He did not need to grasp it. He's Jesus rock solid, unchanging, which is why you can trust him. And unlike Satan, he did not need to grasp at any one thing in any way, shape, and form. Verse 7. Verse 7 here as we go. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here is Jesus emptying himself from this form of a servant, taking on the likeness of men. So third, Jesus, as God, became the slave. He actually actually became a slave, which really blows my mind. Most of your Bibles, like mine right here, English Standard Version, is going to say servant. Uh, if you know your Bible as well, I just you know help you out with that. There's a word 
that means disciple, it really means uh, uh, doulos, and that word is always translated as slave. Uh, but here the English translators uh, want to be a little shy and are using the word servant, which is fine. It means slave. Jesus says God became a slave. And he became a slave so that you no longer are one. You would say, why, why, why did Jesus become a slave? You're a slave. What are you enslaved to? Well, I, we could probably get a microphone up here and say, what are you enslaved to? And you would probably, you know, eventually come up and share some things. And whatever it would be, it would be some form of sin. Uh, some people might have an addiction. Some people might have something else. But whatever it is, you're actually enslaved basically to the negativity of your own humanity, even though you can have positive moments in life. You're enslaved to the limits of your humanity. You're enslaved to the negativity of your humanity. And I got really good news for you. You don't have to be like that. Jesus became a slave so that you no longer are one, so that no human being ever lives like one ever again. That's why he came. Jesus voluntarily limited his attributes and his privileges. Let me give you a cross-reference here in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. I actually want to read this together as a church, so if you would be good enough to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's going to take me a moment to get there because I did not mark my Bible ahead of time. I actually have this memorized, but I do not want to butcher this section of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read from, where do I want to read from? Come on, Bible. I want to read from verse 17. So the Bible is going to say, therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has come. The old has passed away, excuse me, and the new has come. So this week, I got this wonderful email. In fact, I just got it two nights ago. blew my mind. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of it. It's the sweetest, most tenderest thing ever. Uh, it's someone I have acquaintance relationship with, and uh, somebody that never, ever, ever knew or thought that they would ever follow Jesus Christ. So I don't know if you, maybe that's you today. You're thinking, I can't believe I'm in the ranch church listening to this. <laughs> or, or maybe this once was you. So he writes me this note, and he's been listening to our teachings online. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he got Jesus at the center. And so he writes me this note. He says, hey, Rick, I, I grew up in a house that never had God ever mentioned once in my entire life growing up. And my wife actually grew up in a house just like that. She, 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 she grew up in a house no one ever, ever mentioned God. Not in any way, she, not, not positively, not negatively. It was never mentioned. We never went to church. I didn't even know what the Bible was. I had no idea. I had never physically ever touched a Bible in my entire life. Isn't that amazing? Be well-educated, multiple degrees, and never have actually physically ever have touched a Bible, let alone have written it, read anything in digital form. So very recently, gives his life to Christ. I think he gets to, because of uh, an acquaintance relationship with us and uh, and, and, and to the little gospel handbook called Jesus at the Center. So he gets that in his hands, and, uh, and, and he, he, he says, I just actually love the ranch church. I love the Lord. I, love, I, I wish I was there to be a part of you. He lives in a different state. He goes, I just want you to know, and here he's quoting for the first time. 
Pastor, the old has now passed away in my life. I only wish it had happened earlier. The new has come into my life. And then he writes a couple of notes. He says, do you realize all of this is from God? I'm sure you do. Paul here in these words is saying the same thing. I give you that man's testimony, which is sweet. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was, uh, that Christ, that, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you feel like trespasses are being held against you? I hope not. But if you do, I've got great news for you. Because Jesus is that cleanser through his blood by which your trespasses no longer need to be held against you. Nice moment to give me a big hallelujah right there. (laughs) Under the Lord, right? Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, church right here, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that we, that's you and I here together, might become the righteousness of God in him. Back to Philippians chapter 2. Jesus says God became the slave. And he, he allowed himself, I don't, know, I don't know how to best language this, Uncomfortable, extraordinarily uncomfortable, um, supernaturally uncomfortable, whatever, whatever the right language is, he's God and says, I'm going to limit all of my divine attributes and privileges to such a degree that I can squeeze into a physical human body all the glory, all the riches, all the angels who bow down to me, all of that in every single moment, I'm going to limit that because my people must be saved. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to give them that new heart. I'm going to give them that new life. So he humiliates himself. Verse 8, verse 8, back in Philippians, and being found in the form, and being the found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So fourth and lastly, third is Jesus, as God became slave, and fourth and lastly, that Jesus loved you enough to humiliate himself. King of heaven on earth, king of all that is seen and unseen. The Bible says that Jesus spoke the world and it came into existence. And he loved you even if you're sinful, even if you're like really wicked, even if you're complete rebellion against you, against him, he loves you so much that he would actually come down and be that in a human form. That word, that, that following words, this is where our English language sometimes gets us. I spent some time talking to you about morphe before these other words that are now found in verses uh, 6, 7, and 8 are actually the word uh, schema which means that Jesus was actually just showing you the outside of himself. He could not show you all the inside of himself. Otherwise, his glory would now allow him to be put on the cross. So he has to, he has to humble himself, which is a form of humiliation. It's incredible. This is so that you would know God and know his love and know the supernatural power of God. 
That's why verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee, how many knees? Small degree of knees. A certain ratio, probability. So let me, let, me, let me tell you something and wake you up, church, if you're not there with me. You might think that hell is like some open rebellion to God. You know, somebody going, oh, God, you put me in hell. I'm going to get you. You know what hell is? Everyone's bowed down before God. It's just too late. Ain't no one talking back to God in hell. Not even for a moment. He is so king and Lord of heaven and earth, everything seen and unseen, that in the demonic hellish realm, that even there, there is no talking back to Jesus, king and Lord of heaven and earth. Quiet is what hell is before God in Christ. Every knee should bow every in heaven and earth, Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, but I, I want to I enjoy a moment here with you as I ask you to do business with God. Related to this verse, it was in a journal some time ago for me, and it, was, it came on my phone. It was part of a conference that I was at. Last year, I was uh, just at a conference worshiping the Lord that, uh, that Casey had taken me to, and uh, Casey was actually on stage, and, and, and the Lord just broke through to me. So I'm going to read you this worship song, praying that it has the same effect related to everything we've been talking today. It's called, it's called King of Heaven, and I, I want to read it to you because I want you to understand what it says. Uh, so, so this song says, make way for the King of Heaven. He's rising like the sun. Make way for the king of heaven. He has come to meet with us. Make way for the king of heaven. He's riding on the clouds. Make way for the king of heaven. He's coming now for us. Holy, holy is the one who is. Holy Holy, the one who's come. Holy, holy, the one who's coming back again. Make way for the king of heaven. He's coming for his bride. Make way for the king of heaven. He's making all things right. Make way for the king of heaven. There's healing in his wings. Make way for the king of heaven, for his kingdom and his reign. As he's coming back again, so rise up, because it's now the song of heaven. So Father, I pray now that your church be one with you. That your people, God, that you would call out of dark places. So many, God, need the most significant and deep healing. So many need the reality and hope of your life. 
And so I pray now, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the authority of your word, that you would present yourself to their heart and to their mind and to their soul. Stay with me, church. I invite my prayer team up, up front here. I ask you guys to dismiss yourselves from your seats and be here. The nature of knowing God and experiencing God is responding to God. And I believe that some of you are right now in need of that new fire from God and that you need to make way for this King of Heaven who's rising come to meet with you. I don't know where you're at with that. I don't know whether you're young or old. I can only sense and feel that inside of you is a heart that is burning and burning that you must actually say yes to this and say, pray for me that that king and fire of heaven would be in me. Way beyond emotion. <laughs> Way beyond emotion. To the deepest truth that God could ever speak or have. And so if that is your need, this fire from heaven, then I'm going to ask you to respond to that need in a, in a very genuine way. Jesus had this truth that he spoke to us. He said, you deny me or do not speak about me publicly, then I do not work with you in that way. You're not in your closet. You must acknowledge and come forth publicly. And so you're not going to go away necessarily and have that in the same way. And so I need to ask you, if that is you, to get up out of your seats and say, I just need the fire from heaven to fall upon me. If that's you, then come right now. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.